The knowledge centers at IMTS Spark cover the manufacturing concepts you need to understand for your business today. It's a deep dive, but it's also easy to consume and fun to explore. Yeah, I like to consume, but yeah, the topics look great. One, securing the U.S. supply chain. Two, trends in parts cleaning. Oh, that sounds interesting. Three, why multitasking? Four, practical approaches to automation. Five, five-axis machining. Six, top shops. Seven, digital manufacturing. Eight, trends in automotive. And nine, additive manufacturing for production. I'm surprised you can count that high. I can. I can. Look at that. You know, I know that parts cleaning technology, just like other technologies, is evolving. Can you tell me more about that? The latest cleaning trends point toward environmentally friendly ways to clean effectively, replacing harmful chemical solvents with a mostly aqueous method and updated processes that clean and dry complex parts better than ever before. Sounds like a washing machine. Go to imts.com slash spark. So Jim, I told you about the R&D tax credit, the federal R&D that I took advantage of several years ago. Did you do anything with that? I did. I called them and we set up our discovery call, but I have to tell you, I was shocked at the amount of granular information they required to build my case. Right. Well, I mean, I know you didn't want another thing on your plate. I literally got anxiety due to the multiple years of data and the detail of the data that they needed. But the thing was, I knew the pro shop was identifying and tracking this data. The problem was, I just did not know how to extract it. So I set up a Zoom meeting with the company the R&D company, and one of the founders of ProShop, Kelsey Hecoop. It was a really productive meeting, to say the least. And the R&D team just asked what class of jobs, the hours, the costing, and more. And we were able to download the information immediately and email to them in real time. It was really another great reason to have ProShop that I had no idea would help me in the future. Well, it just goes to show when you choose the right ERP system, it can really help you to save more money. Bam. Welcome to Making Chips. We believe that manufacturing is challenging, but if you are connected to a community of leaders, you can elevate your skills, solve your problems, and grow your business. I'm your host, Jim Carr, and I'm joined in the Zanger studio today with my co-host, Jason Zanger. How are you doing? Yeah, it's great to be here. We're at Zanger's Industrial Supply and in my office recording another episode of Making Chips. I'm looking forward to this one. This is an interesting topic. It is. Well, just a full disclosure, you know, Jason and I, years ago when we ventured out on this podcast, we would have a rolling list of episode ideas. So I looked through it just the other day and I'm like, you know, this is one that I think I can talk on. And it was sitting there and I, I grabbed it. And, and what we're going to talk about is, can you be successful running a small machine shop? much like mine and what we've been doing at Car Machine for the last, you know, 40 some odd years. Yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of contrary to that notion of do you have to be really big? Yes, that's exactly right, Jason. Thank you for saying that. So, you know, I often get messages from the metalworking nation, you know, texts and emails and DMs from people all over the country. They're emerging and veteran manufacturing leaders asking me how car runs and manages the processes in my shop. Well, that's what we have making chips for. Right. To be more <laughs> efficient. <laughs> but they want the deeper dive. So they want to talk to me direct. And and that's fine. I, like some free consulting. 
Yeah, a little bit, but you know, it, it helps me as much as it helps. Them. Yeah, no, no, no. A lot of times when you think through the way that you do things in order to try to help somebody else, you're like, wow, maybe I can do that a little bit better. The bottom line is they're reaching out because they want to be more efficient and inevitably more successful because that's what this is all about. You know, and some of the some of the most common questions I get are how do you do your quoting? How do you find customers? Do you use manufacturing reps, inspection equipment, ERP, CRM, all of the things that we talk about on the show. So it's kind of funny that you mentioned like to be successful. So one of the episodes that I'm kind of scoping out for a future making chips episode is, you know, just exactly how to define your success. We're going to talk a little bit about it that today. It should be so binary, you know right. what I mean? Because success means a lot of different things to a lot of different of people. Of course, yeah. Well, usually we we think of success in the traditional manner, which is like, am I growing? Am I making more money? Am I hiring more people? You know, that that type of gauge as far as success, but maybe emotional success. Yeah. And I, and I'm all about like, you know, free markets and, you know, being able to do those things, but maybe as a person, you need to think about those things a little bit differently. Sure. Absolutely. So before we begin, I, I want to, you know, we've been doing some fun facts lately. So this one is the not so fun fact. And it's titled The True Failure Rate of Small Businesses. I've heard this type of thing so very often, and it always bewilders me. But go ahead. Well, the fact is, and I I went to numerous platforms to get this information, and it says that in the first year, 21.5% of new businesses fail. In the first year out, 215 The second year is 30%. By the fifth year, it's a 50%. And by the 10th year, it's 70% failure rate. So that's quite interesting. I wonder if we could get those kind of same numbers for a manufacturing business for like a machine shop. That would be kind of well, interesting. Well, it goes on to say, not all startups are created equal. Part of the risk level depends on the industry in which you launch your startup. Among other industries, information companies had the highest failure rate at 63%, closely followed by construction, 53 and boom, there's manufacturing, 51%. So it's a high-risk, high-loss startup, and it just goes to show you that it's not as easy as everybody thinks it is to, to start. Well, I mean, manufacturing is very capital-intensive. And you can't just say, you know, if you're going to start like a cleaning business, I'm going to grab a, you know, a mop and a bucket and some cleaning supplies and start, you know, knocking on my neighbor's doors. I mean, you're going to buy a mill or a lathe or, you know, just whatever kind of equipment you need. I mean, you could do it in a frugal manner, but it's capital intensive. You need some receivables, all, you know, payables, all that kind of stuff. And you have to have a team, people, employees that are getting, you know, a good amount of money. to run. And I, I still think that it's a great industry to be in. And I think that we're going to see a new era of manufacturing manufacturing entrepreneurs, people who are going to become the next generation manufacturing leaders, because, you know, I think the barrier to entry has gotten lower. And I think that we're just going to seize a lot of great opportunities in the manufacturing industry. But those are some good fun facts. Well, they're not so fun because they're, it's saying guess, that, you know, we're going to call them fun facts, but sometimes they're not so fun. No. But if you look at it on the other hand, 70% have survived their second year. So, yeah. so that's, yes. that's, that makes it sound a little bit better. It sure does. So before I get on to manufacturing news and talk about, you know, what I believe 
success is in running a small manufacturing company. Any good news to share about your business with me? Jason? Yeah, I've got kind of an interesting one, which I think you're going to be either like, you know, shocked to hear from me or, or, or what, but I've been kind of seeding this with some of the key people on my team and almost to a certain extent, like kind of getting their permission, but I'm going to take a little bit of a sabbatical this oh. year. So cool. I'm going to get away for a long period of time. And I think I need to do these things. I've been running the way I've explained it to my team, and they've all been very encouraging as far as this goes and, and saying, yeah, you need to do this. Or they say to me, I don't think you can do it. <laughs> Does a, a sabbatical really mean detaching 100%? Yeah, I'm figuring out what it looks like, but I feel like I've been running in seventh gear for like the last 20 years. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just like, a, you know, if I can make an analogy to myself as a sports car, if you'll allow me to, they're not meant to drive that fast for that prolonged period no, of time. No. And so I, I feel like I need to take a break, clear my head a little bit. I, I haven't figured out exactly what, it, what it's going to look like, but I've started talking to my team about it and they're all very encouraging. They're like, yeah, you, you should, you know? And they're like, we don't know if you can because you're so connected and you're always on and you're always going a million miles an hour. But they're like, it's probably good for your health. So I'm planning this out. I think I'll be talking it a little bit more on making chips as I try to figure some of this stuff out. But I've got you know a good six months to to plan this whole thing out. And my team just just does such an exceptional job without me. They're even starting to run our weekly meetings without me and everything. So I, I'm I'm not like scared about it. I just want to do it in the right manner. Sure. So and I'm really looking forward to it. I've already started talking to my family. I'm not a hundred percent surprised. I'm okay. only about sixty percent surprised. Okay. 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 Because I know you well enough. Yeah. And when you say you really need a break, you probably really yeah, need a break. I do. I do. I need a break. I need to, you know, clear my head and just kind of set some new, you know, roots and some guidelines and figure out is this like going to Indonesia for no. six months? No, 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 no. And I don't know exactly what it's going to look like. It's kind of ironic. So like one of my very dear friends and, and my pastor, the man that disciples me, ironically, he's taking a sabbatical this summer too. And he's trying to figure out what it looks like. And we've been kind of talking about it together. It might be like more of like a soft sabbatical, but it's going to be just, it's going to be sticking around the United States and it's going to be with my family. You know what I mean? So it's not going to be me by myself. There might be a little bit of me by myself, but it's going to primarily be me with my family. So Amanda is going to be taking a sabbatical as well. Yeah. From... So she'll be, she'll be doing that with me. I mean, like how she separates her, she's able to separate herself more effectively than I am. So for her, it's not as big of a deal for me. It is a bigger deal. So, so it might involve, you know, as far as making chips goes, it might involve me pre-recording, you know, some episodes by myself, maybe. I sure. don't know. I mean, like, you know, it's just, I got to figure out, you know, exactly how I'm going to, how I'm going to do this, but it might not be like a real hard sabbatical. Like I'm going to disappear for two months. It's not going to, it's not going to be like that, but it might be more of a, you know, more of a soft sabbatical. Sure. So I'm sure you'll make a good decision. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, if there's anybody from the Metalworking Nation that has any advice for me or has been there, please let me know. But this isn't like a midlife crisis or anything like that. This is like a- Sure sounds like it to me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I really don't think that it is. It's more of just, I'm just trying You to, said it, not me. No, I know, no, no, but I know that's like, it's a very natural thing to think about, but I really think that this is just, you know, I'm just kind of like reaffirming my values because even related to this episode, one of the things that my wife said to me is like, do you have to keep growing the company? <laughs> you know what I mean? And I think that's probably something that you're going to talk about here. And so I need to figure out, I need to take a stop in order to kind of check in on everything and say, am I doing things correctly? Right. You know what I mean? Exactly. Both in my life and in my 
my work. Mm -hmm. And um, everything is going great from a work standpoint and everything is going great from a personal standpoint. I mean, like, I know like 2020 has been tough for a lot of people and, you know, I don't want to make light of that. But like, as far as I'm concerned, I'm doing great. And, and like the businesses that I'm involved in are doing great. So this is just reaffirming what I'm doing and making sure that I'm, you know, setting myself up for success in the future. And above all of that, just getting some rest. I don't get enough of that. I hear so, you. Which I'm sure you're much the same way as far as rest goes too, but I'm going to, you know, kind of put the stakes in the ground and do it. Yes. I'm feeling that way too. Yeah. However, I just, I don't see myself doing that. Okay. It's not part of my DNA. Sure. And that's okay. Yeah, it is okay. I guess I get my break if I take a few days off or sure. whatever, but I enjoy, I enjoy working hard. Sometimes I, if I work a little too hard, it, it gets a little overwhelming, but then I know what I have to do yeah. and, and yeah. I do that. There, there's a lot of data out there and that, you know, like taking a, a sabbatical, which kind of comes from university professors that they, they would kind of uh, codify that into how they do things. The university professors would take sabbaticals in order to write books. So you're not, not working. You're just, just doing, doing different. different work. And you know, who knows, maybe I'll write a book. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to try to figure that out. I'm certainly not going to be just playing the entire time. I'm going to be doing something. I'm just going to be doing something different for a long period of time. Awesome. I'm going to move on to manufacturing news. Nothing too crazy. You know, I love data on how the economy is doing. So I'm always attracted to those type of news articles. And this one probably is being redundant in what we've been reporting is that 2020 wasn't so bad of a year for manufacturers. We're still below 2019 levels. But what they're saying is it will definitely come back in 2021 and it probably is going to eclipse the 2019 high levels. I'm starting to see that. I'm starting to see the activity. Yeah, it says it may take a little longer while the majority of industry leaders may be positively looking ahead, the recovery will take longer to reach pre pandemic levels. As the year progresses and confidence in the economy grows, manufacturers should regain the momentum they were experiencing prior to the pandemic. And our friend at NAM has come out publicly and said, he's the Chad Moutre, the chief economist there, predicts a return to pre-COVID levels by the second half of 2021. Okay, he sees a weak economy and sluggish product sales being primary challenges as well as attracting and retaining a quality workforce. That's always been there. That's not going away. I don't think it's going away anytime soon. Yeah, and all, and all of these, you know, predictions are only as good as the data and the things that they know because, you know, there's a lot of stuff out there like, you know, say COVID hitting that who could have predicted the pandemic, right? You don't know. The biggest disruptor that I've ever seen in my lifetime. The whole skilled labor issue is going to probably ramp up even more, right. especially because of COVID, because I think there's going to be a lot of people that if we have another pandemic like this or just the way that it goes, some people are going to be like, I just don't want to work anymore. Like over at my wife's company, Black, they had a safety specialist working for them who was like, you know, I'm going to retire. And it was associated with COVID. Because he just didn't have to work and, and just the risk factors involved in him continuing to work was not something that he wanted to participate in. Oh. And so, you know, we gave him our blessing and he retired. And How old was he? I don't know exactly, but I mean, he was in his 60s, no no kids or anything like that. So, okay. But very fit. If he wanted to work, he had a lot more years in him. He didn't have to retire. Wow. You know, I think you're going to see that from, you know, manufacturing workers too, which could 
make things very difficult. So what they're saying is what what happened in 2020 is, and they say that it's starting to happen now due to the pandemic is a digital transformation. They say the pandemic has helped to accelerate the rise of a new type of automation, flexible, collaborative, and cloud-based that can better support changing operations and more intricate workflows. So I thought that was pretty interesting. I mean, we all had to uh, adapt in, in 2020 to a new type of way to communicate and participate. And I think that the digital digital really excelled a lot on a lot of levels in 2020. You, well, you know, this kind of reminds me of we're an industrial distributor. So we sell like, you know, cutting tools and stuff like that to manufacturers. And we also, you know, partner up with other companies to offer services to manufacturers. And one of the companies that we're talking with offers like turnkey robotics services. Right. So they put into a shop on an hourly basis, the cobots and the robots in order to, you know, automate their processes without them having to make the capital investment. And we're kind of exploring whether this is something that we want to offer to our clients, but it kind of goes to this whole notion of like, you know, flexible manufacturing. It's kind of making me think that is this the future of a lot of these lease services and, and products that people are going to be purchasing? Yeah, it's very possible. They're saying that the COVID-19 crisis showed that additive manufacturing, we're talking more about additive lately, Jason, showed that additive manufacturing can step up and provide meaningful solutions. Additive manufacturing is one of those digital technologies that can deliver short-term ROI, low-cost manufacturing, and low-risk. Totally agree. Still don't know where additive is in at car and how we're going to use it in the future, but we're we've been talking about it. Let's get somebody on the show that can talk a little bit more intelligently about this. You know, one of the people that I was you know thinking about that might be fun to have back on the show is our friend Patricia Miller. I think that she's pretty knowledgeable in the in the additive space. She does she? do additive at her business. Yeah, so it'd be interesting to to get a little bit more knowledge on yeah. this. Two more things in this that I that I want to bring to your attention and and the metalworking is proper planning. They're saying the unprecedented supply chain disruptions. And we all know there was a lot of supply chain disruptions uh, during the past year may have been a blessing in disguise for manufacturing, encouraging them to become agile and resilient. Summing it all up, finding and retaining qualified, skilled workers will continue to challenge manufacturers in the new year. Automation and technology applications can lessen the severity of the talent crunch. So we've got this talent crunch. Automation is coming in strong. Automation, of course, does not use human interface. So that's going to help augment the shortage of qualified workers. To operate advanced technology may require retraining and additional education for the workforce. Capturing tribal knowledge of retiring workers like me should also be a priority as more baby boomers leave the manufacturing sector. And, you know, that's so true because we do, all us baby boomers that have been in, in this industry for 40 years or whatever, we have all this tribal knowledge and they need the, the new generation that's taking on the, these older businesses or the startups need to really extract this tribal knowledge uh, before it's gone. Maybe just to, you know, make a correlation to what I was talking about is going on with me. Maybe one of the things that you should say is I'm going to take a sabbatical in the summer of 2022 and take the next year and a half to figuring out how you 
extract yourself from the business because I know that you know if if all of a sudden you went on vacation for three weeks, I mean, you guys would have issues, wouldn't you? I don't know. I don't know that right now. I mean, I would have to definitely check in. You don't operate in the shop, so the shop's going to no, continue shop to go on without fine. you. Yeah. But I mean, like, something for people to think about is like, if I wasn't there, what would happen? What knowledge would go away that needs to stay in the business? I know this place would run fine without me. <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know. I always think about it from a, like a task standpoint, like what tasks are required that I do. Let me tell you, and I'll be telling the, you, the metalworking nation, pre-retirement is in the works right now. Oh, good. Then, you, then you're already thinking about it. That's I'm already great. thinking about it. You know, Jim, 2020 is over. And I'll tell you what, I've had some conversations with some shop owners about their 2020. And some manufacturing leaders out there had a really tough year. Yeah, they did. They did. It was, it was really sporadic. So do you remember that conversation that we had with Jen Ryan on the podcast? And she talked about that they had a solution for some of this just lack of volume in 2020. Yeah, I loved that episode we did with Jen. She was such a positive person and she really means well. And what what she shared with what how Zometry partnered with their team, it, it was really profound. And I'd like to learn more about that. I'd like to do a better, a deeper dive. Yeah. So I had a conversation with Dan from Zometry. Let's give him a call and maybe he can bring in one of their clients that can tell us a little bit more. Sounds great. I'm going to give him a call right now. Hello? Oh, hey, Dan. This is Jason Zenger from Making Chips, and I've got Jim Carr on with me. Hey, Dan. How you doing? Doing well. Thanks for the call, guys. How are you? Yeah, great. great. Hey, so we were just talking about what Zometry has done in 2020 for some of the shop owners out there, the manufacturing leaders that kind of struggled when you know some industries were really, really not doing well and they lost a lot of volume. Do you have a client that you could bring into the conversation and we can we can talk to him about it? Yeah, I mean, that's certainly a, a passion point of mine and, and something the company's really proud of, the work we've done for our, our manufacturing partners. Someone comes to mind, we worked with a shop out of North Carolina, Penco Precision. They were really just getting off the ground. So it was a startup. Early March. Yeah. And COVID hit. And they definitely had some trepidation as to kind of what was next. Great. Well, we'd love to hear his story. All right. Hold on one moment. Hey, it's Dan from Zometry. I've got Jim and Jason from Making Chips on the line as well. How you doing, Vinny? Good, how are you? I'm doing well, thank you. Hey, Vinny, this is Jim at Making Chips. Thanks for taking the call and uh, you know sharing with us a little bit about your experience with Zometry during the 2020 pandemic. Yeah, can you tell us, just tell us your story and what you went through last year? Yeah, so uh, we actually just opened up. So we, we started the company in... I think it was August of 19, but, you know, it took us till February of 2020 to actually get the doors open. So, so, you know, the point where we could make, make some chips. You guys have some great timing with when the pandemic hit to start a new business. It was crazy. So like we literally like the end of February got to the point where we could open up and start making parts and calling people and trying to get some work. And I think it was like right there within a couple of weeks, the pandemic hit. So it was you know, it was kind of crazy. Wow. So how did Zometry help you through that? So at that point, we didn't have any like, you know, customers yet. And, you know, we had known about Exometry and we signed up. They, you know, Exometry, I guess, you know, they were kind of, everything was kind of a little bit of chaos. And they actually helped us out by kind of opening their, their board up. And they, they let us take a decent amount of work 
you know, they kept they kept calling and making sure that we had work and, you know, we were going to stay afloat and everything like that. So, I mean, they helped us out a ton. That's great. Because at the end of the day, you want to keep the spindles running. You're just looking to, to keep going during the, the hard times, right? And from what I'm hearing from you, Vinny, it looks like they were, they did a lot of hand-holding uh, and were really comforting, you know, your needs and, and making it, you know, making the pain go away a little bit. Yeah, I mean, they called and, and we didn't really know, you know, we had just opened up, so we didn't have like a base baseline to compare how much work, you know, how much work was out there, how much work we should be getting. So, but I mean, they called at least once a week, just, Hey, you know, do you have work or, you know, can, can I help you find some work? And they really helped us out in the beginning and they, they helped us for, I think that went on for a couple months where they just, you know, they called make sure we had work. And what was your daily routine? Did you just log on to their board and find work there that was appropriate to the capabilities of your shop? And then you, you, you won work that way or tell me about the process. They basically, you just, I went on the job board. I mean, they have a job board with all their jobs on there and you just, you know, you get to look at it and, you know, see how much they're paying, how much or how much time you have, uh, what the due date is. And if it fits, then you, you know, you take it. And so that was basically it. I just go on every day and look, check the board. And I actually would, while I was machining parts, we just left the job board up on the computer you know, check to see if there's a job for us. And we, you know, we just kept it. It started off a little bit slow, you know, when right. you start with them, you know, you have to, you know, you basically are proving that you can do the work and you're, you know, everything, you know, you can get everything out on time. You know, that was really it. You just keep the job board up there. And that's, that's how I basically, uh, you know, use them. So how do things look for you now, Vinny? We're as, as busy as, as we can be. Awesome. Congratulations. That's awesome, man. Yeah, I mean, so far, I mean, I don't, like I said, I don't have a baseline to compare it to because we literally opened up right at the beginning of the pandemic. So it's not like I had the years previous to be like, all right, this is what we normally do. But I mean, you know, we've just been slammed. I think part of the part of the pandemic was, you know, we were kind of nervous, just like everybody else, what's going to happen. So we just took as much work as we possibly could, as much work as we could do and just worked late and weekends and just kept getting after it because we didn't know exactly how it was going to play out, you know? Well, that's great, Vinny. You know, we appreciate you telling your story and, and, you know, Jim and I are very happy for you that things did work out. And I mean, you, you couldn't have picked a worse time to start a business, but it looks like you had the tenacity to pull through it. We definitely lucked out with the timing, but hopefully, you know, things things seem to be working out so far, and hopefully, it continues. Well, it was great talking to you, and we appreciate you telling your story to the Metalworking Nation. Best of luck. Appreciate it. All right, thank you guys. Bye, guys. Thanks, Benny. Thank you, guys. Bye. So let's let's talk about this because. Can you be successful running a small machine shop? Yes. Okay. Well, <laughs> so what is I want to I want to preempt the answer to that with a question. What is business success? Success in running a profitable firm that conducts business with honesty and integrity, makes meaningful contributions to the communities it serves and nurtures high-quality, balanced lives for its employees. As business owners, we must think outside our own doors. So I wanted to define that first. So that's your definition of success. I took it off the internet. This is not my quote, but this is something. Oh, somebody that, else's definition. But I believe in that. Okay. So I think that like, you know, you have to define what success looks like. So I think, I think success is very simply just achieving the, the vision that you've set out. 
for yourself. Right. And if that's the vision that you've set out for yourself and your team, that that's great. You know, it's something you have to strive for. Yeah. So running a successful business can mean a lot of different emotions to a lot of different people. Emotional success, financial success, freedom to be your own boss, make your own schedule, go on vacation, whatever, whatever that means to you. Yeah, you got to define that. Right. Define what success is to you. I believe in my case, I've been able to create and sustain a successful small business that adequately fulfills my needs emotionally, financially, and one that keeps me engaged all the time. So, the first two, emotionally and fi- financially, everyone understands. Emotionally, it keeps me emotionally engaged. I like the fact that I'm needed, I'm wanted, and I feel that I'm contributing to the success of the business because I'm still engaged. Yeah, I would agree with all those things. I'm, I'm on the same page with you there. You know my company's been around since 1973. I've been working there for 35 plus years. You know how long Zengers has been around? 1951. 70 years. Yeah. You know how long Black has been around? No. 1893. That's old. That's really old. <laughs> wow. How many owners have they had since they've 1890? had three families of owners the Black family, the Wexler family, and now the, the Zanger, Zanger family. Zanger family. Yeah. That's really not bad for all right. those years. Right. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, I've been the sole owner since 2004. So I've, I, when I was writing this, I'm like, holy crap, I've, I've owned that business and been the sole owner for 17 years. I don't know where those 17 years went, but that in itself to me is a success. Yeah, continuity is, you know, is successful. 17 years I've owned that business myself. I I don't know where the time goes. But anyway, the business has afforded my family with what I believe is a privileged life and whatever privilege is to you, you know, that's fine. I believe that it's given me a privileged life. However, if you want to quantify that, I am control of my and my company's own destiny but I have a responsibility to all my employees to make good decisions to keep the business moving forward and to retain their financial health. Because I'm responsible for, you know, if I make a dumb business decision and I have to lay half the people off, that's not being very responsible. Exactly. And I think that that's one of the, for me, freedom is one of the ult- my ultimate definitions of success. And I think, right. that, I think yes. you've kind of put a couple bullet points there as far as how I would view being free. And I, I believe that, you know, being free is just such a, well, it's, it's first of all, it's a, it's an incredibly important core value of our country, mm-hmm. of the United States, mm-hmm. hopefully for other countries. I mean, we do have international listeners out there too, about 10%. And, you know, hopefully they see, you know, freedom as, as something that permeates their lives as well. But I think, you know, just having that freedom to succeed or fail is of paramount importance. Yeah. So I I know you understand what I mean when I'm trying to convey success means a lot of things to a lot. Most people equate success with financial and riches and monetary things, but it can certainly be emotional success, how you feel about going in every day, how you feel like you're contributing to your, your employees' health and wealth and your community. Well, even even from like a financial standpoint, you know, like your success might not be making more money. Your success could just be paying down more debt. Yes. You yes. know, and just being debt free or having money in the bank in case there's a pandemic. And that lends itself towards being more free and being able to make decisions in a manner that is still going to provide a solid foundation for your team. Well, funny you should mention that because that you hit on one of the things. So I, I just took eight bullet points in what I believe 
I have practice over all the years and running this small machine shop that have made it successful to me. And I'm just going to share that with you and the Metalworking Nation, and hopefully it'll equip and inspire you to do the same or go in a different direction or whatever it is. So the first one I have is run a tight ship. And what I mean by running a tight ship is stay engaged, don't get complacent, be a leader, not a dictator. Pick the right jobs that are aligned appropriately to what you do and what you do well. Yeah. And I would say what goes along with like picking the right jobs is making sure you're aligned with the right clients. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. The next one is being honest, fair, and authentic and creating a dynamic culture. I, I remember, God bless him, I, my father always told me, be fair to your employees, your customers, and your vendors, and you'll have a long and fruitful career. It's one of the metaphors that he's left me with, and I believe it's been so profound in how I run my business that I'm still doing it. I also believe it's of utmost important to create a good work environment that has a rich and healthy culture. You know, you were the one, Jason Zanger, that taught me about culture, and I jumped on that that train years ago. Yeah. And you've done a great job of defining I love and it. living those out. Yeah. We have those things codified in our core values and our culture, you know, do we go life. So like doing the right thing has to do with being honest and fair. What single core value would epitomize being, you know, honest and fair to you as a core value? Fly. Okay. Because? Well, the core value fly came from flying first class. And I don't mean that in a literal sense. Okay. But what I mean is if you've ever experienced flying first class. The way you're treated? The way you're treated. I've only flown first class when I flew with you and you upgraded me. That was was my only experience. So, but it doesn't mean that. It means flying first class in the way that we engage with each other. We engage with our customers and we engage with our vendors. Okay, so you're treating everybody in a manner that's worthy of respect. Perfect. That's exactly it. So that's where fly is the cultural part of our core values. That makes sense. So, you know, I learned all this later in my career, but it's proven to be the foundation of how I run what I believe is a successful business. The next one is control your costs. It's not too, you know, profound. It's, It's okay to spend, but don't lose your mind. Always remember to be prudent in the decisions that you make as far as spending money. And I think that, you know, as a small business owner, I, I know I've learned from experience, you know, when I put somebody else in charge of trying to watch my costs, and I don't I don't believe in being a micromanager as far as that goes, but I think the business owner's gotta have some overview. You know what I mean? Like I think if you if you have a, a purchasing agent that's, you know, trying to lower and watch every single penny, I think that you're doing a detriment to your company, but you need to be responsible in how you control your costs. So like, you're not spending a lot of money on a lot of, you know, frivolous things like, you know, here, even here, you know, I'd love to make some upgrades to our offices and, you know, buy new chairs and like all that kind of other kind of like nice stuff. But what's the ROI on that? Yeah. We need to look at those things in a, in a very controlled manner. Right. Exactly. I could not agree with you more. The next one is about money. It's keep your debt low. And the old school mentality, what I was always raised with, I don't know if you were, Jason, but the old school mentality of not borrowing money at all is nearly impossible nowadays. But if you need to borrow, 
be as conservative as possible and don't overextend. One of the people that I, you know, follow his teaching and I'm not saying that I've I listen to him. I haven't necessarily incorporated what he's teach into my life and my business is Dave Ramsey and one of his yeah. he's the founder of like the baby steps and getting debt free and then they also have a small business aspect of 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 their company which is Entree Leadership and he talks about how you can be debt free and running a business too. I know people that are doing it. Do you oh you know manufacturers who are completely like they would pay cash. Al Row Precision Metal yeah. is debt free. Okay. 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 Yeah. And you know, it, I I like Elro. I, yeah. I they're they're a great vendor of mine, but their salesmen use that. It's a privately owned company. Right. From what I hear, and they use that in their time, their sales pitch and, and okay. what, they communicate that often. And that's really Really impressive. Yeah, that is. Do you know any manufacturers like a machine shop who is debt free? I don't. No one's told me that. No one okay. shared that with. Yeah, me. nobody's ever shared that with me either. I would imagine it's a very low percentage. I would imagine too, but it would be interesting to hear from somebody from the metalworking nation out there if they've you know successfully grown their job shop debt free. Yeah. I'd like to know if if you are listening to us now and you are and you want to share that information, please let us know because it'd just be interesting. It'd be an interesting metric to know. It might be an interesting story. Absolutely. And you know, and the whole reason why you want to keep your debt low is when things go south, and sometimes things go south, the loan payments are always going to be there. Well, I think that's why we had this, you know, PPP stimulus is because there were so many companies out there that have so much debt. Thin margin. And thin margins and, you know, they needed to pay their people. And, you know, there was just, you know, very little space there. Yeah. I have a few more, Jason. And again, you know, this is this is what I think. I'm not telling people that this is the way they should run their business. And this is not the end all way to success. It's just, these are the things that resonate with me. Uh, be agile. That word is, you know, nowadays, I think that word is way overused, at least to me. Well, as making chips as a marketing company, we use that all the time. <laughs> I know, but it's true in, in a manufacturing company. Yeah, you it, need to be it, agile. You need to be agile. You need to be flexible. You need to adapt to new ideas, processes, and technologies. Very important. It's something that you cannot forget about it. The next thing too, is we did a podcast on this years ago, Riches in the Niches. Super important. Don't take work that is out of your scope just to keep those spindles running or the employees working. Yeah, look for the work that is right in there. Your core and I competency. know it's painful. It, yeah. It's like a piece of candy when you're looking at it. if things are you know going south and you don't have work and something comes up and you know I'm it's going to keep Johnny working for a couple more weeks. I guarantee I've done it. I've gone down that horror path before 95% of the time it's going to backfire. You're going to lose energy. You're going to lose time. You're going to lose money and you're doing something you're not equipped to do. Mm -hmm. It's probably why seafood restaurants don't serve Italian food. It's like there's a big disparity there. If it's Italian seafood. I've never heard of well, oh, like, I guess. Like, you know, some salmon you know what with, I mean. a, with a good red sauce on it or something A Mexican like restaurant doesn't serve Indian food, right? Okay, well, there you go. There, yeah, that's, 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 that's what analogy. I'm alluding to okay. is, you know, you don't want to do something that's out of your scope. If you're mm-hmm. a, if you're an expert in Indian food, you're not going to get rich or you're not going to really help your client, your customer, your paying customers if you start off- offering Mexican food. Because people are only coming to the restaurant because they want Indian food, not the, because they want nachos and guac. You got you know? You're a little like thinking about Indian food since I took you to that Indian yeah. restaurant that one time, huh? Yeah. It was good, huh? I'm only going to give it a C. 
I, I think it's great. You just maybe don't like Indian food. Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. No, no. I, no I, oh, I don't mean the food was bad. It's yeah. just, it's not your thing. It's not my thing. Yeah. It's one, but of my, I tried it. It's I, one of my favorites. I know it is. I know it is. Don't take me there tonight. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, taking risks. This is another thing. And, you know, I I guess I've been taking more risks lately, later in life, but it, it it's paramount to take risks. You have to take risks. It's just take a lot of time to evaluate the true risk in that decision. And once you've thought it all through, I think about stuff all the time. And what I do is after I've thought about it for a long time, if I can unequivocally say that I'm comfortable with the level of risk, then I flip the green light on. How do you go about measuring the risk that you're going to take? Because I've got a little bit of a formulaic way to do this, but I'm just curious how you look at this. It's nothing, you know, scholastic about it at all. It's just, I think, I think about the financial risk. Then I think about the emotional risk. You know, I don't have a spreadsheet that I put numbers in. I I do have a way that I've measured risk in the past. Like specifically when I've looked at, you know, acquisitions, I've, I've got a bunch of questions that I put myself through, but one of the two main questions is, you know, what's the best outcome for this decision that I could make? And what's the worst thing that could happen if I am not successful with this decision? And that helps gauge my risk level. Like one of the acquisitions that we made, one of the worst outcomes would be that my wife and I would lose our house and we'd be out on the street. And so that was a measured risk that we needed to take and say, you know, is this the right decision? And we ended up making that decision and we affirmed that acquisition, but, and it was a great decision, but those are the kinds of, you know, that's a big risk. It's a big risk. And that's one of the things that, you know, we need to put ourselves through in order to make sure that we are making the right decision. Right. So the the next and the last bullet that I believe is, you know, important for me in being a successful business is acquisition of new technology. I, I know this may go against risk and prudent spending, but adding new technology to your business has some of the biggest impacts like, you know, inspection equipment, ERP, CRM, automation, you know, all are extremely important to take you to the next level. I want everyone to think if you're not advancing with new technology, your competition probably is. And are you willing to just be the one that's going to wait and let everybody else around you become more competitive with their technology? I don't think so. So that, that that's a really important one. So that's it. So, you know, I'm happy with the level of success, success that I've achieved with Car Machine and Tool and Making Chips. Both were business ventures that, you know, I said yes to. Making Chips was a low-risk opportunity. Uh, we went with it. And uh, I mean, although it took a lot of time to, you know, stage it and figure out all the logistics of it. Uh, we're there, and it, it's fairly easy right now to get through it. Car Machine, you know, was an existing business, and I've just been evolving it to the next level. So, uh, you know, we have good years. Yeah. We have bad years. Yeah, that's very true. And, and, you know, from like a business standpoint, too, I mean, I've got, you know, Making Chips, which was a startup, and then I've got Zengers, which is a family business, and then my wife's got Black, which is a acquisition. So, you know, I've kind of been through a few different ways of sustaining a business, and we've definitely, I think that all your points are very relevant, very impactful. You know, it might behoove us to have more of a discussion in the future on, on how exactly to 
to define your success and what those parameters look like. I encourage you, the metalworking nation, listening to this right now, if you would like to add, I'd love, I'd love for you to share with me what you believe being successful in small business is, and maybe we'll share it as a follow-up on a future episode. Because at the end of the day, if you're not making ships, you're not making money. Bam. bam. As always, thank you for listening to the Making Chips podcast. You need to increase the speed and feet of your business. If you're not elevating your manufacturing leadership, you're going to get left behind. The Metalworking Nation is committed to a new way to stay ahead of the competition. We have more content to help you make and elevate at makingchips.com. Gain access to exclusive content, as well as videos, blogs, show notes, and more resources designed to equip and inspire you. We'll see you next time. You know, so we have those things codified in our core vulture. Let me try that again. Our core, our vulture. We... <laughs> Ha, ha, ha.